everyone, welcome back. We are back for another scripture dive, and today we are wrapping up the intermediate material for the 2024 quiz season with Acts chapter 11. Really excited to dive into this today, uh, and really excited to share some some of the quizzing that we've gotten to do. It's quiz season. It's, it's here. We've been waiting for it. So uh, Eric and I have been coaching at a couple of tournaments. Eric, you have a report for the um, the Louisiana Texas Open at all? Yeah, it was a great tournament. It's always a good turnout. Um, experienced division had a lot of great teams that attended, as well as the intermediates. I felt like there were no easy quizzes. Um, every quiz was kind of a, a battle, which is a good thing, right? Competition, iron sharpens iron. So um, I'm privileged to coach two intermediate quizzers. Um, one is a more experienced intermediate quizzer who's been quizzing a long time, whose name is Carter Durand. Um, he probably quizzed the best I've ever seen him quiz at Tri-State. He was the highest score with a 123 average. Um, we placed fourth and then my second um, team or second player, um, Christian, he's a new quizzer and he's just grown tremendously. So we're praising God for growth and excited to see more to come. Awesome. Yeah, it was. It seemed like um, like Carter had a great, great tournament. So um, that's always super competitive. It's early in the year. Everybody pretty much knows all their stuff pretty well because it's January, and it's just uh, lower material. So like less, you know, less to kind of go through with with questions and interrupting. So always highly competitive. So good job to all the teams there. I believe POA. Um, won POA Ball, won the Experienced, and um, West Monroe won Intermediate. So congrats to those teams and all the other teams. And then I just uh, got back, and I am still exhausted from a weekend in uh, in Missouri going to the Show Me Invitational. Glad that's back. Um, it was kind of on hiatus for a little while, and then kind of a, a Missouri-only tournament for a little while due to COVID and things. So very very it's it was kind of a staple of of our quiz career avery would know we always went to the show me every year and typically that was our tournament to go and get our butts kicked and to realize that like studying is important and to uh to start putting in more work to to get ready for the the chase marshall invitational and, and bqe but this this time um my 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 kids were were, were better prepared and uh um Sharon Newton is a last year quizzer that I'm coaching and she's extremely talented and quizzed for 12, 13 years. Um, and she's really devoted herself. I'm very proud of her. Uh, she's, she's in her second year at U of I in biomedical engineering and it's, yeah. And she has no time yet. She makes time. And that's, it's, it's kids like this and like you, Eric and, and others that really had a full plate of school and work and, and ministry and things that still like made it a priority and made the time for Bible cuisine. So I'm very, very proud of her. She's, uh, she's doing an awesome job and she's, she's having a great year so far. And she's, I think this is, it seems like this is the most fun she's had so far in the year. She's just really enjoying cuisine as a whole. So in my other quizzers, Avery Smith and Eli Sobrowski and Caleb Brody, um, they're all doing really well, growing a lot. I like where we're at. We didn't, um, we didn't place, but we quizzed well and we're showing a lot of growth. I really like where we're at there. So um getting ready for the Chase Marshall Invitational next month. And I hope to see everyone there. Uh, and congrats. BQE season starts in a oh. month too. So it's uh, coming up. That is true. Get ready, yeah, quizzers. The week after the Chase Marshall Invitational is the first BQE, right? Yeah. 
we're always we are always the last BQE. So like we have to like suffer, like watch all everyone else have fun at BQE and just wait six weeks until we get to have ours. <laughs> but uh, congratulations to uh, to Liberty, Missouri, for winning the Show Me Invitational. It was very well. Um, so did the the two new Whiteland teams and uh, and a lot of teams. We saw some great quizzing this weekend. And then intermediates, I believe it was Liberty Springfield. Springfield. Liberty, yeah, Liberty Springfield. Yeah, I did. I, unfortunately, they were quizzing using my questions, and I really wanted to make it over there and watch, you know, and judge in there w- with uh, Sister Amber Williford on my on my questions because that's just always fun. But uh, my daughter was quizzing, so. And she quizzed well, so that that's a priority. So I got to go see Layla. And I tell you what, there's nothing better than seeing your daughter just crush a a two-part cross-reference question to win a quiz. Um, just like proud dad. Big proud dad moment. So As a quizzer, a I, don't of- think, I don't think there would have been a moment that I would have enjoyed more than contesting your questions, Phil. But sadly, <laughs> I was never given the opportunity to do so. And I would have eaten them uh, up, just saying. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty. I think when you're, we, you didn't ever quiz on mine. I guess not. I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, maybe not. Well, um, well, thanks. Not at a tournament, obviously. In practice, you would write stuff, but. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Well, thanks for for the great weekend down in Missouri to to that district and to everyone that that had us. We got to eat at Lambert's on the way out, so that was uh, that was a big hit. It was a lot of fun. So excited to jump into Acts chapter eleven, which is um, in in a lot of ways a retelling of Acts chapter ten. But I think there's going to be a lot of uh, insight that we can pull out of it, and a lot of things that we can uh, really really dive into. So with that, uh, let's All jump right. into it, Logan. Uh, well, our first passage we're going to read is uh, verses one through three, and this is kind of um, it begins illustrating the differences that the uh, Jews had with the Gentiles, um, how chapter 11 starts. And the Bible reads, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. So Peter gets back to Jerusalem. They have a problem. We that's the essence of this um these first three verses and i'll throw it to eric if he if you would like to explain to the quizzers and to the audience why why was this such a big deal what was the um what was the issue with them having problems with the uncircumcised and the circumcised having kind of this this war or this butting of heads yeah and so obviously i think we've I talked about earlier how um, in Acts chapter 10, how Jews and Gentiles viewed each other, or at least how the Jews viewed the Gentiles, right, as being unclean so much that we had to get a vision of unclean animals for Peter to come to the realization that whatever God cleansed don't call um, common. And so this was kind of um, verse number three, the accusation that Peter went into men uncircumcised and ate with them. Um, it was really a strict interpretation of the law. The law didn't really explicitly condemn people eating with Gentiles, um, but rather it was the Jewish tradition of the time that condemned this practice. And we see that the Pharisees give the same accusation to Jesus um, in Mark chapter two, whenever he's eating with publicans and sinners, they kind of ask him the same question. Um, but it's important to know too that whenever you ate with someone in the first century, it wasn't just simply having food, right? 
it signified that you were in fellowship with that person. Just like in Acts chapter two, we see that um, in the church, whenever they broke bread, right? That signified the communion and the fellowship that the church had. Now, the the Jewish Christians that we see earlier in this chapter see Peter doing the same thing with Cornelius and his house. And so they're saying, what's going on? You seem to have fellowship with these people. And so we'll see Peter's response later. All right. Okay. Let's jump All on. right. Let's, uh, let's keep Beginning on. with verse four. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. So here we see the exact, Peter is recanting the exact experience that he had in the vision that uh, Brother Eric already um, recapped, um, where he has the understanding and the revelation that God no longer wanted circumcised and uncircumcised to be butting heads, having these issues that for so many years, for generations, um, actually had had problems with. And so now God is beginning to open the door to the Gentiles um, of the gospel. He's opening that door to them. And he's using Peter as the um, as the way um, for them to be to be safe for them to come to to God and be believers. I love here that when Peter is accused of something, the first thing he does is he goes back and he makes sure that he has his story straight, his facts straight. And he just recounts things from the beginning. Uh, growing up, my dad would always tell me, you know, tell the truth. You don't need to have uh, as good of memory if you just tell the truth because you're not coming up with stuff. And uh, anyway, Peter coming in here, he, he just says it hasn't happened. Things uh, might inflame some people, but as it unfolds, they see where he's coming from. They see God's influence in it and uh, it comes to a resolution there. So always tell the truth and uh, let, let the facts speak for themselves. I just find the whole thing funny too, how Peter is like, okay, I know these guys are going to talk to me about this. I know they're going to come and get me for this. So I'm going to have to get my story straight. Yeah. I imagine the, the feeling he had, you know, just even as it was happening, like it was so not um, acceptable, right? He even said, you know, spoke about it in Acts chapter 10, like I'm not even supposed to be here, right? Um, so imagine how he felt, you know, as as he knew that this confrontation was, was coming and you just, yeah, just anticipating that probably wasn't fun for him. Um, but he recounts the story pretty much exactly as we read it in Acts chapter 10. Diving or, or switching over to like a quizzing perspective, um, have you guys ever quizzed on you know where there was there was past different passages you had to memorize that were just very similar, and like was that ever a struggle for you guys, kind of keeping track of the 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 similar verses and everything? Is there any any tips you would have for quizzers that are that are going to get to this and struggle mixing it up with Acts chapter ten? I would say there's actually, um, so whenever I quizzed on Axe and Logan, and I don't think Avery was in the experience division at the time, but Logan can vouch for this. We didn't quiz on Acts 11, we quizzed on Acts 10, but there's a very similar passage in Acts, I believe it's Acts 26, where Peter, or 
Paul is giving the same story to Agrippa. And so it's a, it's very similar. Um, um, sorry, Paul's story in Acts 9 with Agrippa's recountation in Acts 27, 26. Um, and so I would just say that, honestly, for me, it was just knowing that they are similar, but figuring out the differences first and really honing in on the differences. But also it's important to know how they're similar too, because that's prime meat for a cross-reference question as well. So he's gone. All right, we lost Logan. Logan is having internet issues. We're going to continue on you know, and keep keep going. Um, but anybody else? Avery? John? I was going to say, like, kind of along the same lines as Logan was saying with Proverbs, for me it was Psalms because, you know, it seems like there was always like a chunk of verses that sounded exactly the same in like Psalms 3 and Psalms 4. And then, you know, it's the Psalms just seemed really repetitive to me. So, um, I really had to pay closer attention to what those differences actually were. But same thing that Eric said, when you notice crazy similarities between verses, it's almost like a blinking light for a cross-reference. So it's like the similarities caused me to have to pay attention closer to verses, which also helped me later with answering questions, if that makes sense. Right. Yep. All right. Well, as Logan's getting back on, um, I would just, you know, take – the two verses that sound alike and just go back and forth between the two. Just quote this one and then quote that one and then quote this one and then quote that one again until it just, you really have a, have a good grasp of it. I remember Avery struggling and I think we were on a van trip and I remember just like repetition over and over again, just Mm -hmm. quoting these same two verses back and forth to really get a hold of it. One thing that Um, helped me with stuff like that was uh, quoting my bad pile. If there was a, um, or like quoting by verse reference, you know, when you look at the reference on your quiz cards and you just quote based off of that. Um, If I, like I was a weird quizzer, but it's like, even if I got a verse wrong, I would want to quote it again. If I knew that there was even a chance that I could have quoted it wrong. And if, one of the verses fell into that accidentally right category, I would still put it in my bad pile and I would just quote my bad pile over and over and over, especially before tournaments. Yeah. Our, um, our prior coordinator, brother, Steve Martin at Denham Springs, he always said, don't quote till you get it right. Quote it till you can't get it wrong. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's a great, it's a, it's a great, great saying. Logan, let's uh, finish up your story about Proverbs. Sorry for disappearing on y'all. One of the things that I learned is how you memorize um, the verses is crucial. For me, if I ever memorized the verse wrong, it always showed up two months later when I'm at a tournament and I'm sitting behind a board trying to quote a verse and I'm thinking, is there a the right here or is there no the? Is there an A in this place or is it and? Like It just depends like in the situation. And so for me, after miss, missing a couple questions of that that way, I was like, okay, well, where is my problem lying? And I found it was in my memorization technique. And so then at that point, it changed how I memorized the verses. And I found, I made sure, like if I memorize one verse, say I memorize the verse in chapter three, I find a verse in chapter five that I'm starting to memorize. And I'm like, oh, this is similar to this verse. Well, then as I'm memorizing that verse in chapter five, I compared it with chapter three and made sure I compared the two and memorized chapter five correctly as opposed to chapter three. So then when it came to the mastering or the mastering of the verses and when it came to the quoting of them, I didn't have to worry about it um, affecting me or memorizing it wrong or having to correct a mistake that I had already made that could have been fixed in the memorization process. 
So that would be my, that that's what worked for me um, for any quizzer that, you know, um, wants to go through that, that process and address how you memorize certain verses. If that's a problem that you're struggling with, that's what I did. And I just found, you know, especially with cross references, it's easy. And with the material or with the resources that they provide for you, you can find which verses are similar. Um, that way you can even game plan ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I, I, I see that in chapter 13, I'm going to have a passage that's similar to chapter 10 or of course I'm using it as an example. I don't really know if that's the case. But you can then game plan and you can understand, okay, this may be similar so now I can prepare for this and then I can memorize it effectively and correctly rather than just going as fast as I can go, memorize 10 verses in one sitting, and then a day later I'm trying to figure out, what did I memorize again? But then you have something stuck in your head that may have been <laughs> wrong, which is then a whole other process to get it out of your head. So that that's what worked for me. Which, like, I when you saying that, Logan, I feel like and I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but that concept of just looking really close and finding similarities between verses, it's, it's almost like a, an art that you can develop in even your own study time after Bible quizzing, because I can't tell you how many times I will read a passage and like John or something. And I'm like, that sounds mm -hmm. super familiar. And I'll find the like old Testament passage that, john is referencing or it sounds similar and it helps you really cross-reference the bible in your own personal study time it lets you look at the bible as one cohesive work that god formed instead of just this book this verse this chapter you know yeah. separately you know i feel like if bible quizzing and studying all those cross references did one thing, you know, I, as quizzers were like how is this going to help me in the future how is mm -hmm. learning all these cross references and uh doing all of these weird goofy um connecting questions how is that going to help me in my study life down the line it actually is going to help you a bunch Maybe. you know i i constantly see myself making bible cross references just in my own study time or in my own bible reading and it's pretty fun to see it's pretty it's a fun callback to bible quizzing every time it comes up <laughs> and Absolutely. i would say too avery you know like in instances like in acts 10 and acts 11 whatever it's almost like word for word the same thing i think that those are the passages of scripture that god's saying i want you to pay attention to this right because mm -hmm. luke luke could have just ended at verse four and said but peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning he didn't have to go back into what he said but he said i'm gonna have to say it again right because he was trying to hit the nail on the head that god was bringing salvation to the gentiles yeah so that's those, a that's a super yeah. powerful truth because it says, uh, what's that verse? I think it's the first Corinthians out of, out of the mouth of two or three, two witnesses, or three witnesses will every word be established. So right. uh, that's where we can look at things like the gospels, you know, it's like, why did we need three, four accounts of the same story? And it's like, because God wants us to really know that this story, that this word that was spoken concerning the situation is true. You know, it's, he's confirming and establishing his word. So, yeah, spot on, Eric. I think that this instance of the recount of Acts chapter 10 is almost just, a, especially for the Jewish people that Peter's talking to, I think it's just a further, um, like a further verification, almost like a double step verification that this is true and this is what God wants and this is the That's word good. that is established, right? Yeah. Multi factor authentication Bible. <laughs> yes. Yep. I like it. And I would say, too, I mean, kind of in particular in this passage, 
I read these passages in two different lights because they're set in two different scenes, right? Yeah. The actual visions in Acts chapter 10. So you're focused on the Gentiles, right? God's now pouring out his blessing to the Gentiles. But now in Acts chapter 11, Peter is giving the same recount to the Jews, right? And so now your focus is, okay, now we're reconciling the Gentiles to the Jews. And so whenever I read about the vision again this time, I read again that it's all manner of four-footed beasts, mm -hmm. all manner of animals. So one could assume that whenever God let down the, the vessel, let down the sheet, it was kosher animals, which were good according to the law, and it was non-kosher animals. I just thought it was just all unclean animals, but that's a great symbol of it's the good. church that God was trying to reconcile both Jews and Gentiles into one sheet, which was it's the good. body of Christ. Hmm. That's really that's good. Awesome. All right. Anything else on this uh, section here? Eric could Eric could preach a right. Eric could preach let's, a forty-minute uh, sermon on that right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's roll. Uh, beginning with verse eleven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So now we see Peter takes them full circle throughout the story, begins to bring peace back to the situation, which is also another testimony thing. That's the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the comfort that God has given us. It brings peace to all situations, situations where you know you may find yourself confused. Holy Ghost is there. Situations where you find angst and turmoil, like in this situation, God still brings peace and allows the Holy Ghost to minister in only the way that the Holy Ghost can minister. Um, and we see Peter in this instance by recanting the story, not not recanting, recounting the story um, of what happened with Cornelius and his household, that um, the group that came against him, the group that was in Jerusalem, um, basically took back all their complaints and was like, ah, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> and I'll I'll leave it open for comments from from everyone else. I I I love the Peter's retelling of what the angel told Cornelius. You know, in the in chapter ten, it's the angel told him. You know, he will tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And we we talked about going into the Greek there and what that really meant. That it really what thou must do. And here, as in in Peter's recounting of it, it's uh, you know, the angel told Cornelius that. I was going to come and tell them words whereby you and all of your house shall be saved. It's just even a clear picture that, you know, the, the message that Peter had for them um, was, was critical for their salvation. Not only because they were, but in what did he preach? What did he, what did they do? They, the, the, they received the Holy ghost and they were baptized in Jesus name. Um, and, uh, that was critical for their salvation and they not, not just believing because they believed and they were good people. Um, but they were missing something. So anybody else in close, 
yeah, in close concert with that, I think, uh, just highlighting verse 17, um, when Peter says, who is I that I could withstand God? He's not talking about withstanding God in coming to see Cornelius because that's already happened. He's saying, I realized when I saw that they got the Holy Ghost in the exact same way that we did by not water baptizing them, I was withstanding God. And I think that's a really important point because again, this is not just open to the whole passage. He's not just commenting on uh, everything he's done. He's saying at the time that I realized that these people had the exact same experience that we did on the day of Pentecost, which interestingly enough, uh, there were no cloven tongues of fire this time. Um, what is the only thing that they saw that was enough to make Peter know it was the same? That was tongues. So mm -hmm. we're all in the doctrine here. But uh, anyway, he saw the tongues. He knew that they received the Holy Ghost the exact same way that the original um, had on the day of Pentecost. And he said, in order to not withstand the will of God, I commanded them to be baptized. And that, Baptism is the water baptism in Jesus' name. I, I think that's a very important point here. Mm -hmm. And also, Jonathan, tagging along to that, not only uh, in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter call back to the day of Pentecost. Can any man forbid water that these shouldn't be baptized, which have received yep. the Holy Ghost as well as we did back on the day of Pentecost? But I find it interesting that here in chapter 11, it's almost like he calls back to the command of Jesus even before Pentecost. And he's like, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Exactly. And I think of uh, that passage in the gospel where John is talking about one that's coming after him and how he's the one that is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So I think one thing we could even talk about here is along the lines of something you already said, how Peter, if he were to not baptize, he would be withstanding the work of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, and we've talked about this a lot, but we there's this mindset in uh, modern day Christianity where you know, baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, it couldn't be a form of salvation because it's a work and we're not saved by works lest any man should boast, right? But the way Peter and the way they always are referencing baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, it's as if God is baptizing us. You know, the work is his and we are his workmanship, right? We are the ones that, where is his like it's like we're the the pot that he's crafting as the potter right yeah so i just find it interesting too that peter is even calling back to that idea here that you know i didn't do anything y'all he's like i wouldn't yeah. have been in joppa you know as much as you guys wouldn't have been in joppa in this guy's house but if it wasn't for the fact that the holy ghost called me it had to put me in a trance and send these three men to me just to get me over to that house. He's like, I'm not doing anything, but the Holy Ghost is doing something. And when it, when he put it in that like, he's like, all the guys that he's almost witnessing to about this account with the Gentiles, they're like, all right, if it seems good to the Holy Ghost, it seems good to us, right? Well, Abe, just to build off that a little bit, um, to the point of water baptism and, and works, and of course, anyone who's talked to anyone in the Christian world has heard the whole, you know, baptism, water baptism specifically is a work of man. Therefore it can't be uh, part of our salvation. Titus chapter three, verse five um, is part of a, a larger passage, but the specific thing it says is that we are not saved by righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He referring to Jesus, of course, uh, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy ghost. And where that doesn't say water baptism. Um, anyway, if you study the passage, what else is tied with the Holy ghost and is distinct from the Holy ghost in the two baptisms that are together, water and spirits, water baptism. So anyway, 
There are many, many ways of getting at that. But the story that we have in Acts shows what the apostles actually did. And I think that ultimately that's one of our strongest um, bastions to fall back against when we're, we're talking about doctrine with folks is, hey, you, know, you can get yourself all tangled up in words all you want to uh, or in what it means when the theory is stated. So Paul is great at stating theories in the epistles, right? But Acts shows us how these things were actually lived out. And so the two are never ultimately in conflict, but one is sometimes more confusing than the other. And so when you take the whole Bible in concert, it usually works itself out, uh, even to be able to be explained to a mind such as mine, which is not on the level that it, it should be right. And so that's all of us. Hush. And I would say, you know, to your point, Jonathan, if you look at this, like the passage, Peter is emphasizing the spirit, the work of the spirit and as being like the confirmation of what's happening to the Gentiles. He says like from the beginning to the middle, to the end, we see at the beginning, right? The, the spirit gave the vision to Peter and also gave the angelic visitation to Cornelius in the middle. The spirit told Peter to go with the men sent from Cornelius's house. And then at the end, right? The Holy spirit fell on the people that were at Cornelius's house. But then Peter also connects the spirit of what was happening to the word of Jesus. And so once you have the spirit and the word, right? Peter's making it clear. I had nothing to do with it, right? It was literally these two forces that were impacting the situation. I was just a cause, a causing, you know, person making it happen, right? I was just the the facilitator of everything that was, that was going on by the spirit. I, and the, I was and the, the I was the first domino that God had to knock over. Right. <laughs> Well, he was the one with the keys, right? That's what one thing that my dad brought up in chapter eight, that, you know, why Peter's the one that's, that was there for the, the beginning for the Samaritans and for the Gentiles and for the Jews, right? Um, so Peter was there and unlocked the door, in a sense, maybe, maybe not. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting, an interesting thought. All right. I, read through verse 18 again and i wanted to bring up the the phrasing at the end of the verse the granted repentance unto life that just always seemed like distinct and just an interesting way for them to recognize that and use that wording is that a, is there anything do you guys see in repentance unto life there it's almost like you're um there in the old testament when talking about repentance it was always turning from and turning to. So you had to turn away from, right, your wicked works and then turn to the Lord. So in the same way here, I think what the Jewish believers are saying is that God's granted the Gentiles repentance, right, being dead from those things that they were enslaved to and now into life where they have a life that's dedicated unto the Lord. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reminded of this. Um, I'm reminded in this of second Corinthians chapter seven, verses nine and 10, where Paul is saying, you know, I wrote you these really fierce letters, but I don't repent that you were made sorry by a letter. And then verse 10 says, godly sorrow works repentance uh, to salvation, not to be mm-hmm. repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. And so when you see, you know, the word picture here about sorrow, um, there are two sources of sorrow. The one is what we would generally refer to as conviction, which is a sorrow unto life, just like we're talking about here in the passage, where that sorrow leads you to deny uh, death uh, with the power of God, through the power of God, and seek life, seek holiness, be drawn up, be sanctified. And the other sorrow is the bitter, regretful sorrow that eats you alive, right? Um, And it's the sorrow back unto death. I think those two sorrows are going to be 
the two options anytime you want to change, right? Um, Which that's the parallel between Judas and Peter, right, Jonathan? Oh, exactly. Precisely. Mm -hmm. Well, while we're talking about repentance unto life, I do think that Christianity these days is enamored with the idea of confession, where you can say, you know, this was wrong, and you, you know, you say that to other people. And I, I don't want to discount confession at all. It's actually super important. James talks about confessing your faults that you may be healed, so that you may, you know, uh, confess your faults one to another, um, and that's that's fantastic. But repentance is not confession. There's a reason that those two words are distinct. And just like you were saying, Logan, repentance is a 180 yeah. turn, and it's a, a different direction. Um, oftentimes, repentance is tied to the idea of sacrifice. And it's tied to the idea of killing something, letting the old man pass away, die, be left in the grave as you continue on past that into sanctification, into life. And uh, I do think that you know, we would do ourselves a, a service if we would leave behind the sins and set aside the sins that do so easily beset us running with patience the race that is set, rather than saying, yeah, I carry a lot of weight, don't I? And, you know, keeping on going. And so there's there's a freedom that comes from laying those things down. Um, and it doesn't seem like that because it's actually the more difficult option. But um, that is why Jesus said his yoke is easy. He gives us a new yoke because we've set down the old heavy yoke that doesn't lead to repentance, that doesn't lead to life, that is the sorrow. To of the build world on death. that, Jonathan, one one comment before we move on. That we were having a youth devotional seminar at our – or not seminar, but a youth devotional type of thing um, last week. And we were talking about – the subject of repentance had come up. And um, we were talking in the concept of like, you know, you, when we make mistakes and coming back from that and getting up and, you know, living for God still despite our mistakes. And I, the Holy Ghost checked my, checked my spirit when we were talking about it and kind of revealed to me when we make mistakes – we tend as humans, we tend to think like we are so far away from God that we can never get back to that. And, you know, for people who have never even, you know, repented that have never received the gift of the Holy ghost that are, we're witnessing to them and being saved. Some of the times they may feel as if they're so, so far away from God, they can't ever get back. Right. And, you know, that's where multiple people will say, Oh, well, give me some time to get my life together. And then I'll, I'll come to church. What, what they don't understand is that God has been with you no matter what you've done that God was right beside you walking uh, walking that path with you when you made the mistake. God was sitting right there with you. God was present with you because God is uh, all around. He's all, he's omnipresent. And what we tend to think and what we tend to believe is, oh, I sinned or I made a mistake or I'm not living for God the way I should be. So I'm so far away from him that there's no possible way of me getting back to him. But what is so beautiful about repentance and the blood that Jesus shed for us is the moment you ask God for forgiveness and you repent of your sins, God's nail scarred hands that he took, that he went to the cross with extend to you, take you by the hand and begin leading you down the path unto life, unto eternity. And that's so crucial for us to understand and realize that God's love is not separated because of him. God's love is separated because we choose not to be a part of him, right? When we make, when we make the mistake or when we make so a good. mistake, we put our hands up and say, God, okay, God, no more. Turn around and make our make our mistake. But God's still standing there looking over our shoulder saying, Bud, like I'm I'm still right here. What what about what about me? And one of the things that you know repentance is so beautiful with is all it takes is a one eighty turn back to God and saying, God, I, I really messed up or God, I really want to be saved. You know, I, I really want to partake of this life that you promised me. I want to partake of eternity. I want to partake of the joy, the peace, and the love that your Holy Ghost brings me. Let's dive into the uh, next section. In verse 19, 
Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the, hand of the, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of, this, of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, and he should go as far as Antioch. Sorry, they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Let's uh let's talk through um let's talk through this passage. Sure. If I can add, um just kinda to start off, one thing that I immediately notice is um you know, the this chapter starts off with Peter giving a defense for why um God's work in the Gentile people is right, and then it, it's almost like we get thrust into like a whole story with you know, Gentiles in Antioch and all these other places getting preached to. Um, especially, um, where is it? Uh, verse 20, uh, it says, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. You know, the Grecians are Gentiles, they're Greek people. And, you know, it's like, we see this account of Cornelius and his household receiving the Holy ghost. And then from then on, it just opens up this, um, the floodgates of all these Gentile people getting preached Jesus Christ and them receiving Jesus Christ. And it's in this place where Gentiles are being preached to that, you know, the term Christians is even uh, first coined, right? You know, which, you know, obviously Christianity is how everybody knows it today. And it first started in a Gentile revival almost. Yeah. Kind of to your point, Avery, you know, obviously Peter's sermon changed people's perspective, right? And the Jews, right, could, it was a lot for them to swallow that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit. But they could swallow it a little bit easier knowing that Cornelius and his household were actually good people, right? We know that Cornelius prayed to God always, and, and he was a good man. He gave alms to the poor. But then you go to Antioch, right? And Antioch was known to be a immoral place right these people were not just pagans they were the bad gentiles and so you kind of see god pushing the envelope even further now to antioch of okay i'm i'm asking you to go not just to the gentiles but to a pagan world who doesn't even know me and has no respect for me and so we see that there's revival in those places because the jews are saying listen god's giving peter this new perspective we're going to run with it you know and i think that 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 shows a lot to our callings and that if we're willing to open up new doors of opportunity where maybe some people didn't think that they could go right. What great revival could come out of that by us just simply saying, yes, I'm going to go to those places where no one else wants to go. Right. And be the first one to, to answer the call of God in those areas. Paul uses the phrase in Romans chapter 11, wild olives being grafted in. I heard a fantastic sermon on that one time. It's like, we'll get some pretty wild olives grafted onto our tree. We just have to take them in, take them in, take them in, and nurture them. That's really good. <clears throat> and then uh, we get into this um, this section down here with uh, the tidings, the good news coming to, to back to Jerusalem, right? And then, then why did so why did they send forth Barnabas? 
Barnabas was kind of the the person that had to go confirm what was happening, right? He was a well-respected man. We know that, you know, he was the son of encouragement. He gave um, gifts to the church, right? The prices of the land that he, that he sold in Acts 4. He was a primary source in Paul uh, Saul's upbringing, right? To be a preacher and to be a minister of the gospel. And so he was a trusted man to actually go down to Antioch and say, Hey, this is true, right? The, the, even the worst of the Gentiles are receiving the Holy ghost. And I like, I like the little detail, um, in verse 23, it says who, when he came and had seen the grace of God. So this goes back to, you know, there are physical signs that someone has received salvation. And so if, if, we took salvation as most Christians take it today of just a personal acceptance of Jesus Christ as being Lord, there would really be nothing to see on Barnabas's behalf, but he actually came to Antioch and saw people receiving the Holy ghost. Why? Because he heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, just like Cornelius saw in Acts chapter or Peter saw Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me, um, you know, we hear that term faith without works is dead a lot. Obviously we get that from scripture. One um, phrase that I kind of came up with was spirituality without practicality is, you know, just as useless as faith without works is dead. And that's kind of what we see here. We see, obviously the spirit is doing a work in the church, you know, Barnabas can tell, but practic practically, you know, he can see the grace and salvation of God working in all these people, you know? So you know, and that's kind of the point that we've been talking about with repentance unto life. It's like we can have this, you know, this spiritual desire and godly right. sorrow to turn away from our sins, to do what's right, to want to be right with God. But if there's not practical steps until the rubber meets the road, then, you know, do you really have godly sorrow? You know, do you really have that spiritual, uh, urge, you know, is your spirituality really being lived out? If you're not practically living it out, you know, I, I would argue, obviously, no. So, you know, I would say, you know, it only makes sense that Barnabas is seeing the work of the Holy ghost and the outcome and the fruits of the spirit in Antioch, because, you know, that is just another confirmation that the spirit is actually working. And I love, you know, too, Avery on the end of that verse too. So, we see salvation being poured out, but Barnabas isn't just like, Oh, great. People are receiving the Holy ghost. I can return back to wherever I came from to Jerusalem. He said, no, at the end of verse 23, that Barnabas um, exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. And so I think that this shows both sides of the coin, right? Whenever new converts come into the church, our job is to make sure that they receive the Holy Ghost, right? They, that they receive salvation if they're willing. But then our job doesn't just stop there, right? We have a call and a mandate of the Lord to then make disciples of those people and to lead them into the way of life after conversion. And that's what we see Barnabas doing here. We're not just called just to bring them in and leave them alone. We're called to, to show them the way more perfect. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, I think on that point, some people, you know, and, and I've, I've been there myself, so I'm not railing here, but it's an interesting point to make. Some people that are very great scholars will look at the phrase new birth and think that people come in born old and you're like, well, how does that work? Right. We look at converts like they're supposed to be mature Christians when they've just gone through birth 
and we treat them like they should be self-sufficient and that's unfair to them. Um, honestly, if we, I mean, that's, it's honestly like a mother going through all the effort of having a child and then leaving the child at the hospital. And they're like, well, see you when you're grown up because you should be, you know, fully walking by the time I give you my attention again. That's totally unfair and unreasonable. And yet uh, it's one of the you know ruts that I think we can get into if we're not careful and do that nourishing as well as converting. Sure. Paul himself, you know, one of the greatest apostles to ever live, he even had that little, you know, period in there where he had to develop and grow in grace and grow in strength in the word of God, you know, because he was just as new to, I mean, obviously he knew the Old Testament, he knew the law, but he was new to that, the idea of Jesus being the Messiah as much as, you know, the people that the apostles were preaching to. So, you know, everybody even the disciples themselves, you know, that period where Jesus was walking and teaching them, that was their developmental period. Everybody had a development period in scripture. They don't know what scripture doesn't always hit on it as much. You know, if anything, it's a real, yeah. you know, quick overshot in some stories. Like I, I think of Moses, you know, from the time that Moses fled Egypt to the time that Moses went back to Egypt and became the deliverer of the, Israelites. It was a 40 year period of development in the wilderness. You know, he had to have an encounter with God and he had to, uh, you know, ex actually follow God's law. You know, there was a period where he actually had to get circumcised and circumcise his family. You know, there was all these steps that Moses had to go through to become who God called him to be. And that's the same for every single person that first comes to God. You know, it's like we're born again, but there is still something that God wants to build up in us. And I also think of that parable of um, the sower, you know, sowing the seed on all the different kinds of ground, you know, one of those grounds was a stony, stony ground where, um, they immediately received the word with gladness, but, um, because it's stony ground, it has no root, you know, it has no depth of earth and immediately it springs up. And because of that, when it, because it had no depth of earth, when the sun was out, you know, when trials and tribulations were, um, came, they were offended and it caused them to stumble and not bear any fruit. And if we look at it from a more practical and personal standpoint, if we're not careful, sometimes we could put the cart before the horse. Sometimes we could want to develop and bear fruit faster or bear fruit faster than we're supposed to. And it could end up being really detrimental to our faith. It could be really detrimental to our walk with God and maybe even the other people around us. So I say all that to say, trust the process. If you are working with a new convert, maybe teaching them a Bible study, you know, if anything, yeah. it could be dangerous if they bear more fruit than you want them and then you see them bearing now. So the fruit will come, you know, keep sowing the seed, keep watering, right. keep doing whatever you're doing with souls. And Bible says God's going to provide the increase. You know, he's going to provide the increase in your own life. So yeah. don't worry about something that isn't really in your control. You know what I mean? All right. Does that make sense? Moving on. Absolutely. All right. That was awesome. Verse 25. Then okay. departed Barnabas to Tarsus. Next section. Tarsus. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> for, <laughs> then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Tarsus. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. <laughs> and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So we see, here's where we see Barnabas kind of begin to bring Saul more to the forefront of ministry, more to the forefront of preaching um, in Acts chapter 11. Uh, that this, 
I love the story of Barnabas and Saul only because just because of the relationship that Barnabas took with Saul and kind of took him under his wing as to as to say like, hey, like I trust that what you got is true. Let's do this type of thing. And now Barnabas is now the first person to get Saul into a preaching setting. And we see him, you know, bring Saul to Antioch to preach and to um, teach, uh, teach the new saints in Antioch, well, Christians um, about the gospel. Amen. What a better, you know, there's no better experience than this revival in Antioch for a new preacher to, to really step onto the scene and start to learn the um, the nuts and bolts of ministry. And I would say, I think I love this passage too, Logan, because, you know, um, as a young minister, yeah. right, we always need to have those older figures in our life who are more experienced to be able to speak words of encouragement, to sometimes be able to rebuke and correct and be able to lead us on the, the straight and narrow. And so I would say, if you're a young person and you're, you feel called to God in a certain area, it might not be preaching, but whatever it is, find yeah. someone in the church who is more experienced in that area than you and commit yourself to shadowing that person in the church, because you're going to learn so much more for someone right. who's been around the block from ages than trying to start from scratch and do it yourself. But also if you're maybe a more seasoned person listening to the podcast, don't, neglect or hesitate to take a young person under your wing. It might take a lot of work right on your end, but you're, but you're investing in the church. You're investing in the church of tomorrow. And whenever you do that, God's going to return that investment to you a hundredfold. If I may return to the theme of repentance and very, very much in line with what you said, Eric, actually what you said just showed me something in this I'd never thought of before. Um, but repentance is not often a overnight kind of thing, right? Confession can be, but repentance and really turning from that is not. And Paul had a lot of crimes to his name. Not only were those things weighing on his consciousness, but he'd probably killed a lot of family members of the people he was now trying to minister to. And things like that don't just change overnight. God definitely can change them. Absolutely. He will, will change them. But uh, seeing this time of Paul's life, um, as a time of healing between him and the, the Christian community around him is also a very important part of the story. And all of the same exact things apply, having the mentor that's older than you, wiser than you, helping you work through that, as well as helping the people around you accept you back after that. Um, and we've been to Galatians a couple times tonight already, but Galatians chapter six is talking about how to restore somebody back to the faith who has fallen. This is almost that situation, right? He was a devout Jew and he was killing Christians and now he's being restored uh, to a new understanding of who the Messiah is. And so Barnabas is, is doing something so, so important that uh, we could easily overlook. Cause if somebody kills, you know, my family and then they're preaching at my church, you know, the next month, there's a really, really big social gap uh, in time. Even if I'm fully convinced that God's working on their life before I'm personally going to be able to learn anything from them. And those are the kind of things that Barnabas and Saul, Paul are working through at this time. And so for any of us uh, who have really done, you know, unworthy things uh, in the name of Christ or, or in association with his church, and we're trying to come back, get back on our feet, let the time take its time. Let God heal the hearts that you can't reach to and take the wise uh, as your friends, because they will help mediate those things that you cannot, because all of us, 
all of us can, can change our hearts. God can change our hearts in an instant, but the physical ramifications of some of our actions will take more time to fix and let, let God have his due process there. Um, because this is another aspect of what's happening to Paul and Barnabas. Sure. And one idea that I've kind of seen, um, as a common thread in some of the conversation we've been having recently or in the past couple minutes is have a teachable spirit. You know, there's, um, you know, Paul had to have instruction in the early parts of his ministry. All of the, anybody that we look at as a positive minister, as a positive influence for the kingdom of God, they had a multitude of counselors. I feel they had somebody that could counsel them and teach them. Not once did any of them feel like they had it all together or they had to have it all together. If anything, there were moments where most of them probably felt, uh, like they weren't qualified to do the job that God called them to do. And I feel like God almost prefers that over somebody that thinks they have nothing else to learn, you know, because um, the Bible says that um, God is able to elevate the humble and abase the proud. You know, if you are weak, if you, you know, have things that you still need to learn, God can work with that. But if you are haughty and arrogant about your opportunity, your calling, your ministry, then God is able and probably will cut that down real quick. You know, and I feel like we all have elements of that that pop up in our own lives in whatever area it may be, but we always have to keep that pride and that haughtiness, this this thing that I have already learned so much and I have nothing else to learn. I feel like we always are having to keep that in in a subjection and bring that thought into captivity because it could be a really, it could be a real big issue, especially for, you know, ministries like preachers, musicians, you know, those ministries that God is calling you to be out in front of people, to be a leader, you know, you really need to keep that in check because, you know, God is able to humble you real quick. You know, you're going to be humble one way or another. The question is, are you going to humble yourself or is God going to humble you before or is he going to humble you first? So. Amen. Well, um, sadly, we're Logan's had uh, some technical issues tonight. That you know, I'm sure I'm going to have fun on the back end editing some of this stuff. But uh, I think um, Avery, it, would you mind taking us home with the the reading here? Sure, sure. Um, which verse did we end off on? So we ended on 26. So 27 to the end. Okay, let's do it. Verse 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and, sorry, signified, sorry. Yeah, um, Brother uh, Nathaniel Urshan, he, when he, like, talks about, he's really into uh, uh, the study of words. What's that word? The fancy one? Fancy word? Etymology. Etymology, etymology. that's it. Yeah. He's really into etymology, so, like, when he's talking about signified, he says signified, because it's, like, the word signified, so... I struggle ever since I heard him say that I struggle reading this word, but uh, verse 20, and there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be great dearth or um, I believe that's a lack of food famine and throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren, which dwelt in Judea, which also, they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, so what are you guys thinking about this passage? 
we have a kind of a callback. It's a kind of a theme through the Book of Acts is every man according to his ability to support the brethren, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the third or fourth time we've seen a similar similar verbiage there. Um, according to his ability, as much as you could, they could, they they gave, and um, I, I think that's 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 an interesting parallel. Sure, and one thing that I do notice too is the core reason that. Uh, Barnabas and Saul were sent to Antioch in the first place was, you know, they were sent from Jerusalem to essentially be a blessing to the Antioch people. But now on the back end, this famine's coming into play and it's like Antioch is sending resources with them back to the region of Judea to be a blessing back to the, you know, the church family in that area. So it's, it's not like blessing always has to come from the top down in you know the bible but we can actually be a blessing to you know the spiritual authority or you know i don't want to play it like there's a hierarchy in you know the of you know what i mean like there's not a hierarchy of saints essentially you know but there is sometimes a mindset of you know i can't bless spiritual authority because i'm not as important or i'm not as experienced as the people in authority when in reality you know, I think of times with, um, like when Aaron and her held up the hands of Moses, you know, authority and, you know, people, you know, that have been doing this a little bit longer than we have, they also need support and they also need help when tough times come along, when dearth hits the <laughs> church, you know, sometimes everybody needs help, even the elders, even the you know, the more ex- experienced and seasoned saints, you know, and we could be a help to anybody. We can be a help to the new saints and we can be a help to the seasoned saints. I don't, I don't think they prefer seasoned. I think they prefer spicy, <laughs> spicy, spicy. spicy. Yeah. Spicy. yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. How many times do we see Paul writing his epistles and he's saying, I'm rejoicing because I'm hearing about what you guys are doing. Yeah. Like I'm not even there anymore. I just wrote you this letter and I rejoice to hear this. I rejoice to hear that. Keep doing it. Keep going. Um, and I definitely that at all leadership is two way. Um, it's, it's an influence. It's communication inherently, right? Communication is a two way street. You cannot have a one way relationship. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back into the, this small passage, it does seem that we have a true one hit wonder in uh in agabus right he yep. just kind of comes out of nowhere and like it's kind of like the doom and gloom prophet prof- the end is near yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like he pieces out and we don't really hear we don't really hear anything else about him right um any thoughts about agabus you know i think this is obviously an example of the gift of the spirit of prophecy at work um and prophecy people you know, people who are cessationalists or which believe that the gifts of the spirit have ended, they kind of bash us as Pentecostals for believing in the gift of prophecy because they claim that we're adding to scripture. But I think that Agabus is a great example how we're not doing that. And we see that in the example of Agabus. There's prophecies in the Old Testament speaking about famine. There's prophecies even in the words of Jesus that speak about you know famines coming upon the earth. And Agabus didn't change the word in the in the Bible. He just gave a very specific version of the word, saying that it was going to come in 
in their region, right, throughout the known world at their time. And it was going to happen, right, in the days of Claudius Caesar. Um, and so I think that that's a good example of, or a good understanding of prophecy as it is used in the church now. It's not changing the Bible. If anything, we need to use the Bible to confirm the word of prophecy that's going forth in the church today. It just sometimes is able to give a very specific word for a church situation or for a group of people, whatever it is, from from the counsel of God that's being spoken. Mm-hmm. The gifts, and I think one thing that helps me look at this concept is when the gifts of the spirit are in operation, it's not like God is, or, or the also what they would say is like, we are adding to scripture. We are adding to the canon of scripture, but you know, it's not like we're adding a new doctrine or a new principle to scripture. But if anything, number one, it's God that's doing the work. The Bible says, you know, there's many administrations, there's many, um, applications but it's the same god working on all the gifts of the spirit is the work of god to edify the church um but it's not like he's adding a new doctrine or a new principle with every time that he's working the word of god is forever settled in heaven when god works it's always in accordance with his word so god has already laid out the principles and the um you know the application of his word but you know when uh, when he is still in action today, it's he's, you know, God doesn't contradict himself. God doesn't contradict his own word. He can't. So he is. Uh, anytime something happens, and this is a really good way that because I agree that sometimes people can get in the way when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, and there could be some things that, you know, naturally when God is working in accordance with people, where people can kind of get in the way, test what's going on with the gifts of the Spirit, and see with the word of God. Applied. Right. See how they line up. Yeah. And I think to this, um, cause I think sometimes we can read verse 28 as being a, you know, a story in itself and then 29 and 30 being another narrative, but these are very connected. Right. And I think that's a beautiful illustration of here. You have the work of the spirit, right? And then the church responds. They just accept the word, right? It lines up with scripture. They test it as Avery mentioned. They're okay with it. Now they want to do something about it by sacrificially giving. And I think that that's a great example of sometimes, right? Physical um, tools, right? Are given to the church to be able to further the kingdom of God. Your money is an example of one of those things, right? God calls us to Mm -hmm. sacrificially give for, for the kingdom of God. And so we see the spiritual and the physical almost being, being matched here and the, in the, in the prophecy of Agabus and the giving of the church in response to it. Mm -hmm. And also, sorry, go ahead, Phil. No, well, I have a question about this now. I didn't even think about it, but until you, you, you said that though so he prophesies that this famine's coming and then it says which came to pass in the days of claudius caesar and i don't know my history very well so did they send relief before the famine even happened just trusting that the prophecy was true okay yes that's correct i did not read it that way but that makes a lot of sense so the days of claudius caesar were to come but they uh but they trusted the, the the prophecy and um and uh and and sent the sent it trusting that it was going to happen hold a joseph over there honestly okay bring it all into the storehouse that's a really really cool parallel too wow Mm -hmm. 
And I thought it was really interesting in the context of, you know, the one hit wonder Agabus. And I think looking at this more and we can talk about this, but I think it is probably Luke who does the, the appendage there, which says, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar, but having written far too many academic papers in my life and having to cite my sources, I think it's really interesting that Luke does this because you see in several places throughout the scripture that the people who are writing the scripture are not just saying you must believe this because God said it or because I have said it from God, which is a valid argument. They're also saying, and you can see this confirmed here, here, and there. One of these instances is here in, um, in verse 28, when Luke says, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar, he said, cite, you know, textbook, right? Claudius Caesar, history, you can see it there. Peter does the same thing in Second Peter when he says, we were eyewitnesses of these things, but we have also a more sure word of prophecy where into you to well that you take heed. And he's he actually points back to, to prophecy and he says, we saw it ourselves, but there's actually better proof than even us. And that's prophecy coming to pass. And so I actually love this verse because that brings Agabus's prophecy into context with historical context. Um, and anyway, there it's, it's wonderful to believe God just purely on faith, but I think it's even more wonderful, uh, especially when it comes to, tr in terms of witnessing to people who don't have faith to be able to say yes. And history, 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 science, um, prophecy, if you can. So practical yeah. application and demonstration of spiritual. Oh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that, is a great place to wrap up um, Acts chapter 11. Congratulations intermediates. Uh, no done. more scripture dives for you. I'm just kidding. All you intermediates <laughs> better keep watching the rest because it's uh, you, you, just because you don't have to memorize it doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, dive into it. Right? Eric? Eric has been making Amen. the threats that uh, Eric's been making the threats that he'll no longer be on these scripture dives now that uh, as an intermediate coach, he doesn't need to worry about 12, 13, and 14. But Apparently, that's not I'm not involved in Bible quizzing at all, so it's amazing I'm still here. You are involved, Avery. Yes. You're involved through this podcast. So, In um, body or in spirit, I cannot tell. <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I am. Um, I, I. I was very happy to to hear from a lot of people so far this quiz season that have that have given me the feedback that they were just very much enjoying these scripture dives, and that they feel that uh, just prioritizing the word and understanding and the application and everything. I've even gotten um, some feedback from uh, some of the people at our church that have nothing to do with Bible quizzing, but they're just like, I really like listening to you guys talk about the Book of Acts. So, yeah, if you're here just, listening and you're not into Bible quizzing. We're glad to have you too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. It's a, a sister, Adina Ritzy, said it's like uh, it's like eating a, a big old turkey leg. It's just meat. No, she said she <laughs> always says T-bone steak. T-bone steak. Yeah, that's what it was. It was T-bone <laughs> steak. Exactly. So, um, but thank you, all listeners of of Bible quizzing background or not. Um, we uh, we are. Um, we are officially done with the intermediate material, guys. Good job. Officially done with our walkthrough, at least. So now we can uh, switch over and we can do our MVP verses. And I feel like all of you are going to have one specific one in mind. So yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick who goes first. So can I, can I put a, um, what is it, a boundary on one verse that we can't <laughs> say? Sure. None of us ahead. pick the repentance on the life one. 
<laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the verse that I felt like everybody that was, was the one I was That's going mine. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna claim that one. That one's mine. That's my MVP verse. Okay, fine. So uh so that's the way I can that way I can get out of it. Um but yes, um one verse eighteen. Um when they heard these things they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance and the life. It's the people of the circumcision, the Jews realizing and accepting Peter's message that Jesus had opened the door to the Gentiles and praise God. Thank God that, that that happened. So that's my MVP verse. It's a great verse. All right. Who's next? I'll go with, uh, let's see. Let's go, Eric. I, I think you got something, right? Mine's the one before that one, verse 17. Um, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? This is a very pivotal point in Peter's life where, you know, was he going to. Oh, you muted yourself, Eric. Eric. Yep, Eric, you muted yourself right in the middle of that. Sorry, I was talking a lot. (laughs) Um, Verse 17 is mine. Did y'all get that part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You were like like halfway in, yeah. I don't know how that worked because I wasn't even touching my computer. But um, no, I think verse 17 is great because, you know, this is a pivotal part in Peter's life where he has to decide, you know, is he going to let his tradition and his box, you know, put God into a certain boundary or is he going to let God work on, on, on Peter's behalf? And so this was a pivotal point where Peter was like, look, I saw the work of the spirit. I I heard the word of Jesus. I couldn't do anything else. I had to submit to what God wanted to do. And that's my prayer that I would do the same thing in my life. That's awesome. Jonathan, what you got for us tonight? Sure. Well, I really appreciate his uh, opening it up to passages because I actually was going to do the same thing. It's Illegal. not super long. Illegal. But, um, <laughs> essentially, 23 and 24, the comments about Barnabas there, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all and with purpose of heart, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people were added to the Lord. I just think that's an amazing, amazing testimony and uh, would that that could be said of my life at some point that I would be an encouragement when I come in and that um, that the reflection of my life would bring glory to the Lord. Amen. I think it's already said of Jonathan that you're all those things. Oh. <laughs> Amen. There's lots yeah, and lots of room for improvement. Well, Jonathan, you're an outstanding guy. I'm glad. Uh, if, for those that don't know, Jonathan, uh, we had started this podcast, and Jonathan reached out and was like, "Hey, this is exactly what I love doing." And I was like, "Okay, like let's give it a shot. Let's see how it goes." And best decision been... we ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. We we very much have uh, have benefited from from you joining us, Jonathan, and very much appreciate it. It's been um, an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Let's go over to Abe. You've got the, the last shot at it. Okay. So, Phil, you said 18 was yours. Eric, you said 17. I'm going to say 16 is mine. Um, okay. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John, and thee baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Everybody, I mean, John the Baptist quotes this. Jesus says this again at the beginning in Acts 1. and um, Cross-reference. Yeah, cross-references. <laughs> but... um. I just love it that it's placed here because it shows, you know, and we've already talked about this idea, but not only does Peter call it back to um, these people have received the Holy Ghost as well as we did on the day of Pentecost, but he's saying this is what Jesus was talking about 
when he was teaching to us before he ascended up into heaven. And this is what was even prophesied of him by John, um, even all the way back in the gospel. So this is really something that Jesus is doing. This is something that seems good to the Holy Ghost. And if God says it's good, then who are we to say that it's not? So That's great. All right. Thank you guys for all of your thoughts and all of your time um, going into going into uh, Acts chapter 11. All right. And with that, we can switch over <coughs> to our um, nerdier side of things, the things that we all um, love so much. And now that we're really in the quiz season, um, I think the especially the pronouns, there have been a lot of comments about Tough pronouns this year, just in, in tournaments. A lot of a lot of mistakes I've seen have been because of pronouns, and just it's uh it's it's tough. It's uh, something we got to look out for a lot. So Eric, thanks for taking the time and and breaking down some of these tougher ones. So, what do you have for us today? All right. So um, some of these things might be kind of a repeat from Acts chapter ten because it's the same story, but I wanted to bring them up again just to kind of refresh our memory. Um, Acts chapter 11, verse six, upon the witch, when I had fastened mine eyes, this goes back to, um, the certain vessel in Acts chapter 11, verse five. Now, if you wanted to, you could keep describing the vessel as a sheet, right? Let down, but we kind of talked about this last podcast, but brother Fobier, uh, Philip and I did talking about, um, the rules of identifying a pronoun, as long as you give a unique descriptor of whatever you're talking about such that no other noun in the chapter could also have that same description that satisfies the pronoun ID requirement. So a certain vessel would definitely satisfy the pronoun on upon the witch. Now it, but if it, if it, the scope of the question is according to Acts chapter 11 verses five and six, that would require the entire description of the certain vessel. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. Yeah. But in the case of like it being up into 11, there's no other, there's no other vessel. So I think you're, I think you're fine with that. Um, So would you say that the general rule is the less amount of verses that a um, question encapsulates the greater the needed specification of a pronoun? Um, I mean, that is one way to think about it. It's just, if, if it is tied down to um, specific verses, then generally, and I, and there may be an exception, you know, because there tends to always be an exception to a rule. Um, but generally, you need all of the descriptive information about um, about nouns, and that makes yeah. sense, especially because you know, in that instance, they're probably asking a question, looking for the descriptions of that who or that pronoun. Yeah. So. Also, I mean, if you were open to the chapter. And you would require every descriptor of Jesus. You're going to be giving a lot of descriptors. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's easier to kind of once you limit the scope to require the descriptor. Makes sense. Um, also, okay. So, verse number ten. We we mentioned this last time, but it's it's the same thing here. Um, and this was done three times. This refers back to everything from verses seven to nine. So if they ask, according to Acts chapter 11, what was done three times, it would be everything from verses 7 through 9. Um, same thing like in Acts chapter 10, what was done thrice, it's the same exact actions. Um, now this one's probably the weirdest, 
from what I've seen so far in the book of Acts, not in that it's complicated, but just that it's a weird one in terms of pronoun ID theory is what I'll call it. So Acts chapter 11, verse 13. Um, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house. So obviously Peter is talking about Cornelius here in Acts chapter 11. The only issue with that is that Cornelius isn't named in Acts chapter 11. So the only descriptor that um, Peter gives of Cornelius is the man in Acts chapter 11, verse 12. So if a question writer wanted to identify, wanted the quizzer to ID to identify the pronoun, it would probably be best for them to limit it to only verses 12 through 13. The only reason being is because Barnabas is also described as a good man later on in the chapter. So there's two different men being described. Um, now, if a quizzer were just to say he referring to Cornelius, that's fine um, because it's additional correct information that isn't required, um, but it's it's just not required because Cornelius isn't in the chapter. The name Cornelius isn't in the chapter. Um, there's something else I wanted to bring up there that I'm forgetting. But anyway, I think that that's, yeah, that covered most of what I wanted to say there. Um, he showed us also, us refers to Peter and the six brethren in verse 12. Um, so all the, the men that were there going to Cornelius's house. Okay. And then verse number 15. Um, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them. You can identify the them in a couple different ways, but I think the easiest and most concise way to do it is just to identify them as the Gentiles. Um, in verse number one, you could also say Cornelius in his house, which is also described as the Gentiles. So either way, as long as you're picking out a unique group, I think that that should be okay. Um, Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when they heard these things, the they um, in verse 18 refers back to they that were of the circumcision all the way back to verse number two. Um it does not include all of the apostles and brethren that were at Judea, specifically the Jewish Christians who were there, which is um, they that were of the circumcision in verse two. Um, and when they heard these things, that is honestly Peter's whole uh, message, which starts at verse five and ends at verse 17. So you shouldn't have to identify that pronoun in a question. If you do, good luck. All right. Cause you're not going to mm -hmm. be able to do it. Um, and then my last one is verse 22, the tidings of these things. Um, so this is kind of a tough one just because there's a lot of things happening before that verse. But the tidings of these things, it's my understanding that it's talking about specifically verses 20 and 21. Um, because it really wasn't, it doesn't extend to 19 because the people sent Barnabas from Jerusalem to Antioch because they heard that the Gentiles were also being preached to and receiving salvation. So whenever they heard those things, they sent Barnabas to confirm what was happening to the Gentiles. So it should just be verses 20 and 21 of Acts chapter 11. But that's all I have. Okay. All right. Quizzers, take the time, go through your, your, your material and ID every pronoun do it with your team. That's what uh, we've been meeting um, every Wednesday 
and just kind of reading through and um IDing as we go. Oh goodness, I got a tickle in my throat. I'll, just to bring up one more thing, I realized what I wanted to say about the weird thing with Cornelius and the man. Question writers, if you're listening, right, make it easy for the quizzers and just put Cornelius in the question, right? If you want, right. and just leave the ID out of it because that would make that whole spiel a lot easier. So, saves have, some headache. I'm gonna have to go review what I wrote because I. Yeah, sometimes I get to this point in the season and I read a practice quiz that I wrote and I'm just like, oof, like, I wrote that? You know, it's, it's been a while. So, and my knowledge and understanding of the material has grown, obviously, doing all of this with you guys. So, uh, I'm not the same man I was when I wrote it. All right. Uh, with all that being said, I have a few interesting uh, charting notes that I wanted to share. Um, I always think it's... I always think it's important to pay attention to like the beginning and ends of chapters if there's some sort of unique statement um thing so in, in Acts chapter 11 there is uh a good statement question quote the last statement of Acts chapter 11 um that is uh it's, it's good to to be aware of where that is and what it is is the last two verses is one statement and so that is a great 30-ish point the 30 point length um Quotation quote. I believe it's thirty point length. How would you define that. a thirty-ish point question? It's thirty-ish. So length, quotation-wise, <laughs> um, I actually, uh, I, I've actually, as a question writer, I have really tried to be consistent with my links this year for quotations. So I do it by character count in the verses, and um, basically, like one ninety to two hundred is my cutoff for thirties, and that may depend on the question, but. It's typically 190 is my cutoff. If it's above 190 on a quotation, that's a 30-pointer. So looking um, at verses 29 and 30, Barnabas and Saul, the character count is two. Is that how that works? <laughs> that was a no. stupid joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. All right. That was like the most dad joke I've ever heard every second. Uh, but the character count in the last two verses is uh, 203. So there we go. That's a 30-pointer for me. So that's how I do it this year. Um, and I think it's, I think it's helped me be consistent with that because I don't like complaints of, well, you had this, you know, this was a 20 and this was a 30 and this was a 10. Well, okay. Like I understand those complaints. So I'll try to be as consistent as I can. Um, back to more charting. Um, one verse named Stephen. I always think it's interesting when there we've talked about this before. If there's a is a there's a name multiple times throughout our study, but one time in a chapter, it's definitely something to key off of. Um, four consecutive verses contain the word house, and uh, that's eleven through fourteen. Um, then Antioch is twice named in a verse. Always pay attention to words especially na uh, proper nouns that are twice contained or in consecutive verses that is something that a lot of questions are built off of um one thing that a lot of people don't enjoy charting is uh body parts because there tends to be a lot of them not as much this year but there are four body parts in Acts chapter 11 and they're all different which i think is interesting we have Ears in verse 22, um, heart in verse 23, eyes in verse 6, and mouth in verse 8. So I, ears, heart, eyes, and mouth. Um, I just thought that was interesting and something that 
could definitely be used by a question writer at some point. Um, then I had um, a couple more things. In Chapter 10 and Chapter 11, we talked about all the similarities. There's going to be a lot of cross-references with those similarities. One is uh, the phrase doubting nothing is in Chapter 10, and the phrase nothing doubting is in Chapter 11. I thought that was fun. Um, this is what this is one of my favorites. Uh, in two verses of Acts chapter eleven, Peter names himself. That was fun. So, uh, yeah, that was verse seven and verse thirteen. As he's retelling the story, he, you know, he names himself. I Does that he was do fun. that in any other nope. passage? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the only verses, um, the only verses of study in which Peter or like anyone names themselves. Themselves. So who names himself? Well, Jesus and... <laughs> names himself, right? I am Jesus. Uh, oh, that's true. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That won't work then. Um. All right. Um. The other thing. Um. And this goes all the way to the back to chapter three, which everybody's been quizzing on lately. But um, as we read through it, you may have noticed that this is another example of Peter fastening his eyes. So we have, you know, he fastened his eyes on the lame man, and then he 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 says that he fastened his eyes upon the certain vessel. Um, so he fastened his eyes on whom and on what, and there's just multiple ways that that a question could be written. Uh, on something like that. And then speaking of those sim similarities in the crosses, um, we have rise, Peter, kill and eat. And then the cooler way to say it, I believe is arise, Peter, slay and eat in, uh, in chapter 11. So uh, just those things can, can definitely be asked in, in multiple ways. So just really be aware of, of the differences and different ways that they can ask those questions. So that's all the charting I have. So, before we uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to make a plug and then maybe get plugs or recommendations from you guys on podcasts. Obviously, this is a podcast, and um, we hope that all of our listeners enjoy it. I've been waiting but... for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to plug my church's podcast, and, and Avery actually has taught a lesson recently about how to study the Word. And uh, I, I I could ask him to give us a rundown, but I think he he expounds plenty on on studying the word. But he has a he taught a great lesson um, in our iGrow series, uh, and it is available on the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. We have a uh, um, it's like a, a black and white logo with a flame on a on a on a pillar. Um, we're available on Spotify and everywhere else. So basically, our our iGrow series that we do every year give some opportunities to some people that don't typically teach as much. Avery does teach quite a bit, but to teach to like a broader conversation, Avery teaches the youth a lot, but this is like anyone in the church that wants to sign up for this class can come and hear Avery teach. So um, we have three classes every Wednesday night and everyone gets to sign up for which one they want to go to. And then if they you know really wanted to hear more than one, we have the podcast. So it's a it's a great opportunity. So um, this past Wednesday, Jessica and I taught a lesson on work-life ministry balance. And then we had some friends, uh, our junior coach um, taught a, a lesson on resisting temptation. And then we had a, uh, a live stream class to help anyone that was interested in helping with live stream. So it's, 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 it's interesting that people can kind of pick what they want to do. 
and uh, and and take part in. But I wanted to plug that because I think it's been really good. And if you love Avery, as we all do, um, he had a great lesson on um, on studying the word. So, but I was curious if any of you had one one podcast plug or recommendation that you were uh, that you that you wanted to share. I volunteer. Apostolic life in the twenty first century. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good one. All right. I can add Biblos to that. Biblos has been fun. That was mine, Jonathan. You can't do that. <laughs> well, you can add it too if you want to. All right. So so we have Biblos. We have Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, right? Two, those two? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I have else? a couple categories of podcasts that I listen to. If we're sticking with Bible-related, Kingdom Speak is a really good one. That's uh, Pastor Daniel McKillop from up in Canada. They have a really good podcast, and I think it's been going since like 2020, so there's a ton of episodes that you can listen to, but it's kind of along the same lines as Biblos. And actually, they have done joint podcasts with Biblos where both of them, uh, Pastor Ursh and, and Pastor McKillop, are talking with each other. So super cool podcast. Highly recommended. Well, thanks for all the recommendations. So take that for what you will, everybody. Um, sorry for, you know, obviously Logan's had some technical issues tonight. I think we, I think we, we worked around it. We're going to be okay. Um, but I am excited to continue seeing all the scores pop up on UPC quiz and see all of you at tournaments and debate questions and, uh, bring down contests and go out to eat after tournaments and make new friendships and all the things that the quiz season brings. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm knee deep in quiz season and I'm loving it. I think Eric is too. So Eric, any anything you're most excited about coming up? BQE. It's grind time. It's time to go. <laughs> yeah, it's almost. I, you have the first BQE. We have the last BQE. So BQE is yep. a little further away from me. I uh, I Chase Marshall, the Invitational. We're really excited. We're planning on being there, Lord willing. And uh, I think it's going to be very competitive and fun and excited to excited to see how things shake out. So God bless all of you and uh, we'll see you guys soon.